couple years ago, Michelle, Leo, and I went with some family to a brewery in the Richmond, Virginia area that was known not only for, for the beer selection, but, but for the really great afternoon social events they had on the weekend. And in that particular Saturday afternoon, they had a live band, uh, stand-up bass, saxophone player, keyboard player, snare drum. And as we're wa walking from where we parked to where the band is, I kept thinking to myself, I, I know this song. I didn't recognize a, the, a title or a name or an artist, but I kept thinking, I, I know this. And suddenly, my mind went back into my memory and I was sitting inside of my grandma's green Buick. Gray leather seats, faux wood paneling. This is the music that would always be playing inside her Buick. It was that 1940s jazzy flavor with, with a little bit uh, of a swing to it, a little bit of a pep to it. As we continue to get closer, I noticed all these 20-somethings gathering on a makeshift dance floor that was actually just the parking lot area right in front of where, where the band was playing. And, and they've got, they're dressed in their flannel shirts, their skinny jeans, their tattoos, they're partnering up, and they're doing the Lindy Hop to the music of their grandparents and great-grandparents. This is 2018 holding hands with 1942. Honor your father and mother. How beautiful it is when the hands are held like that. And yet isn't it that this particular commandment seems so challenging from one generation to the next? Isn't it sometimes painfully true how such hand-holding does not always come so naturally or easily. I'll never forget a few years ago, I was leafing through some old sermons in the library at Union Presbyterian Seminary, also in Richmond, Virginia. I was trying to see how pastors from all over uh, would preach and, 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 and wrestle with and deal with some of the issues of their time. Well, I came across one from the mid-1950s by a Dr. William Ward sermon entitled, titled, Which Amusements Are Right? And Dr. Ward, he set up the conundrum this way in his sermon. Olders, older people, olders insist the younger generation is, quote, going to the dogs at a furious rate. In other words, if you are in your 80s or 90s, you are gathered for worship this morning, then your parents, your grandparents were worried. He goes on in this sermon. Young people declare that their parents are old-fashioned, quote, squares and, quote, creeps still living in the dark ages. And so, apparently, also, if you are in your 80s or 90s, you're gathered today for worship, uh, there were some among you who perhaps thought your parents or grandparents had little to teach because they were stuck in the dark ages. Now, that may or may not have been your experience, but I do think some form of this happens time and again in every generation, and, and surely we can name some of the myriad of unfortunate ways it's unfolding even to this day where, where, where suspicion 
and distrust and even sometimes outright disdain has been sown among the generations toward one another in our time. The likes of, okay, boomer, or snowflake, or just plain old selfish. These and other terms have become catch-all insults that, 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 that cut at wide swaths of people and assumptions about that generation. That generation. God, of course, invites a different posture. Outdo yourselves in honoring one another. Paul implores the multi-generational church at Rome. And then in the middle of the Ten Commandments, honor your father and mother. What does that look like in our time? Does it, as Mason asked, mean you do everything your parents say? Let's back up briefly and define uh, mother and father. The larger catechism, which was written in the mid-1640s, is, is found in our Presbyterian Book of Confessions. We, we held this up when we looked at the first commandment earlier in this series. Uh, it's such a great help on so many fronts, so many times, especially with the Ten Commandments. Our larger catechism unpacks the meaning of these Ten Commandments in great detail um, at one point. And, and at one point, it specifically asks, what is the, when it's talking about the fifth commandment, it asks, who are meant by father and mother in the fifth commandment? It's question-answer format. Answer, by father and mother in the fifth commandment are meant not only natural parents, biological parents, but all superiors in age and gifts, and especially such as by God's ordinance are over us in place of authority, whether in family, church, or commonwealth. We could do a whole sermon series exploring the, the implications here, the questions that are raised here. But for today, I want to focus on what it means to honor our parents, our grandparents, also our spiritual parents and grandparents, those who, who first showed us and taught us the love of Jesus. I invite you to take a moment and think of some of those various kinds of parents. Some of the folks who, who first introduced you to the music of Jesus, who first took you out on the dance floor of the kingdom of God, and who comes to mind? And what is it, again, to honor them? When I think of that Lindy Hop scene at the brewery, I really do think my, my grandmother would have gotten a kick out of it, but I also think she would have been honored by it because they were imitating her generation. Brothers and sisters, join in imitating me, Paul writes, and observe those who live according to the example that you have in us. Or, or in Hebrews, remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God to you, and imitate their faith. Imitate them everything. I mean, as, as much good as Shirley was in the Apostle Paul, as, as much good as is Shirley in those we consider our parents, our spiritual parents, grandparents, spiritual grandparents, they're not perfect. In fact, if we know them pretty well, we readily can name their flaws and their failings. There's probably also areas where once we were in agreement with them on this or that, and now there's a, there's a disagreement, and even though we still love them deeply, we, we recognize this and imitate them. What does that mean very practically? 
The larger catechism again helps us here when it asks the question further on in the fifth commandment uh, explication. What does the what is the honor which inferiors owe to superiors? That's language we may not use as overtly now. How does one generation honor the one above it? Answer, the honor which inferiors owe to their superiors is, and there's a, there's a few things here, but including all prayer and thanksgiving for them, imitation of their virtues and graces. Part of honoring mothers and fathers is praying for them, giving thanks for them, And then you heard it, imitating them, not everything about them. We imitate or we copy their virtues and graces, the Jesus qualities of their life, love, joy, or where we saw peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, where we saw courage on behalf of the vulnerable, speaking the truth in love, their prayerfulness, their thankfulness, their servant-heartedness, their forgiveness, their virtues and graces we imitate, the Jesus qualities we saw in, we see in, and through their lives. I think about my grandfather who was an elder in the Presbyterian Church. I'm not called to imitate everything he did and in just the way that he did it. But I, I think of the fact that when he said yes to a commitment, he followed through. He understood duty and faithfulness in season and out of season. In times when, when everything unfolding amid that commitment to family or church or, or otherwise was going really well. And in seasons where it's hard, where it's a lot of wilderness. He taught me about that somewhat old-fashioned word at this point, duty. He's still teaching me as I seek to imitate the virtues and graces What about you? What would it mean today or this week to to honor one or more of those names who came to your heart a few moments ago, to, to try on, imitate the dance moves of virtue and grace? There's one other thing that needs to be mentioned about the Lindy Hop. You cannot actually do the Lindy Hop by mere imitation alone. As some of you may know, the, the Lindy Hop was a dance that began among the African-American community in, in the Harlem, New York area, 1920s. It became very popular sort of nationwide in the 1930s and 40s. And the thing about the Lindy Hop is that it combines a European six and eight step count with improvisational techniques from the African-American community. Part of the dance then is, is very predictable and repeatable, and part of the dance is new and unique every time. Part of the dance, then, is learned through imitation, eight-step count. Part is only learned by experimenting and improvising. In fact, the sign that you really know the Lindy Hop is not when you have nailed the parts you can imitate, but when you so understand and feel the music deeply in your body and your soul that you begin improvising your own expressions on that eight-step 
count. My, my grandma, she would have been honored that Saturday afternoon because these folks were not only imitating her generations, but they were also, they also got the music and the idea so deeply that they were very much improvising and riffing on the basic dance that had been passed down. And this then gets us to, I think, the heart of the commandment. We most truly honor our parents when we imitate and improvise. In fact, improvisation is probably even more honoring to our mothers and fathers than rote imitation. I, I shared last week that I spent a summer as a college, um, in college, interning at, in our youth program at the church where I grew up. Uh, Presbyterian Church in Cincinnati. And I mentioned last week, Brian Shockey was the youth director at that time. And so I worked under him and he was constantly encouraging to me to use my, my gifts and abilities uh, to love and care for the youth and show them the love of Jesus. He encouraged me to be creative and faithful in how I went about using those gifts. And so during the summer, one of the things I began doing is mentoring a couple of the guys in the youth group. And, and one day we were brainstorming on ways we, maybe we could be helpful to Brian. He's always so busy serving and loving the youth. He has little time for himself. And to this day, I don't know how we came up with this idea, except I guess we recalled that he, he lived in this, this large, sort of very old, broken down house out in the country a bit with, with, a, with a big expanse of lawn that he could never keep up with. Again, busy with, with, with the youth. What we came up with was called the Midnight Mowing Ministry. It would be a ministry in which the three of us would show up at his house in a truck at midnight wearing headlamps, each of us with a lawnmower, and then we would mow his lawn. We did it twice that summer. The first time we did this, he comes out with this big old goofy grin. He loved it. <laughs> Looking back, I can see a thousand reasons he should not or may not have loved it. Too loud, too dangerous, poorly timed, poorly executed, because quite frankly, in both instances, the next morning when the sun had come up, it revealed the fact that, that there were multiple spots that had been missed while mowing at midnight. But no, no, he loved it. In fact, in fact the second time after we finished mowing, he, he came outside, sat alongside us, and the, and the four of us played guitar and sung worship songs together until two or three in, in the morning on his front porch. It was really beautiful, uh, the bond we knew from this very outside-of-the-box ministry. What made Brian a great spiritual father, a great mentor, was, was the fact that he encouraged me to improvise on my gifts. He did, he did not want me to simply copy the way he led, led or, or follow through on all of his ideas. Why? Because mere imitation does not a Christian make. Mere imitation does nothing to suggest that the faith has taken hold in a deep and rooted way in the soul. You could tell someone really feels the music. Someone is really being caught up by, shaped by the Holy Spirit when they're mature enough not only to imitate the eight-count beat 
and virtues, but improvise with wisdom and love as to how those virtues are enfleshed in context. We sometimes get upset when our, our children, our grandchildren, the next generation in the church, maybe they, they do something differently, they run things differently. Sometimes we have a good point. But before judging too quickly because they're, they're bringing out the mowers and, and, and they're missing the spots and they're, and they're mowing some other spots that really shouldn't be done, we should always be sure to lean in and consider if that child, if that generation isn't imitating something that's, that's a lot of, the, of Jesus' qualities actually. What they're really doing is improvising and therefore showing forth the kind of maturity for which we can be deeply grateful How encouraging then it is to think of the countless ways this church has proven adept at improvising year after year, and goodness, especially this past year. Virtual choirs, Zoom Sunday schools, virtual worship, liturgists and children's moments being done from the home in all kinds of different and creative ways and backdrops and props and Small groups meeting on front porches and back porches, worship services in, in the cemetery, meals on wheels continuing but with all these different kind of, of protocols and, and, and ways, boxes being delivered to the front porches of our family so they can enjoy uh, the, the Wednesday night uh, children gathering and then having that over Zoom with the multi-generational, with, with the mentors and spiritual parents and grandparents there with the kids. Painting classes, uh, coffee, music night, trivia night, all of these creative expressions unfolding uh, virtually. In fact, time and again, you all have been remarkably willing to try something new, try something different, see if something might work in order to follow Jesus faithfully in context. That has me recall that really, you know, if you want to improvise well in dance, you do need to be flexible. It helps a great deal if your body is limber when it comes to riffing on the lindy hop. And in the spiritual life, those who are most flexible are those who are most humble. Those who come unto Jesus like a child. In FPC Georgetown, you have flexibility in spades, a willingness to reach, to stretch, to try. And I hope you are deeply encouraged by just how faithful the Holy Spirit has been and continues to be through this congregation. We honor our mothers and fathers by imitating their virtues and graces, and also improvising. Same fundamental steps, different, sometimes substantially different forms. In our society, divided along so many lines, generational, certainly among them, we as the Church of Jesus Christ have an urgent call to show forth the good news of Jesus Christ, who has broken down every dividing wall, and I can think of few more joyful, surprising ways to give witness to that truth than a dance floor filled with people of every generation outdoing one another and honoring one another.